Guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listeners' submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week, and if you want to get involved, here's how you do it. Just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You don't have to wait for me to put out a call for questions, but that's what I do on Monday mornings around 9 a.m. I'll send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, you'll get in the show. But again, you don't have to wait. If you're thinking of a question, just send it my way, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. If you're not a Twitter user, there's another way to get involved in the show or get involved in the Mailbag Monday portion of the show. It's pretty much just me after I hit the record button. But if you're not a Twitter user, you can send me an email LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. If you're not a Twitter user, you send me a, send me an email there and I will get you in the show. Saying that, I began last week and even I said it at the end of last week's show. I kind of joke jokingly said, I need more questions. I need your help. I, I appealed to the LockedOnBlazers community and y'all rallied heavily, a heavy rally to make this happen. Uh, which I really appreciated. But here's the thing. We got past the saturation point. Everyone came up too big. And I want to get everyone's questions in the show. So we're going to do it a little bit differently. Uh, Today's show, same same deal, right? We're just we're going to answer mailbaggy type questions. But there were a bunch of questions relating to the NBA bubble. And I am just going to do a all bubble theme show later in the week and get questions in there. I'll still give you shout outs I'll, if, if that's something that matters to you. But I'll still give you shout outs. I'll still... Um, you know, thank you for the questions read your questions on air. But if you asked a specifically bubble related question, I'm going to push it back to later in the week. That, that show tentatively, I'm going to, I'm going to record on Wednesday evening. If my life changes, there's a chance I record it on Thursday evening. Hell, I might even record it on Tuesday. But if you, if you submitted a question this week, I'm not leaving you out. I just, um, I want to keep the show right around 30 or 35 minutes and I just can't run through as many questions as I got as, as, as a one man band. So without further ado, I appreciate you all. I really love mailbag Monday and I'm glad that it blew up this week. So we're making double mailbag, but let's get into it. Our first question comes from Brent from Gmail who asks four questions. See, this is, this is the energy that came to me this week. Brent asks, Actually, the first one's not a question. Brent asked three questions and four bullet points. So Brent basically just says the the Blazers season went in the tubes this year, and knowing that it was basically a non-event, uh, in otherwise without an unlikely playoff run, he Brent wonders: Do the owners or does Blazers ownership would the way they have preferred to tank this season earlier in the season and get a higher draft pick? I don't think so. Um, I think the I think ownership wants to like typically make money and the way you make money in the NBA is you is you play in the playoffs. Uh they thought this team was a borderline championship team, at least the front office did. I'm not sure what ownership believed. So no, I don't think they would have wanted to tank. Sure, maybe now and in, in hindsight, since the season was kind of a non event, like you said, that they, they just didn't work out with all the injuries and everything that that kind of didn't go their way and then the roster just not being as good as maybe they thought it was going to be. Sure, they maybe would have liked to be in the lottery at this point as opposed to fighting for an eighth seed. But no, I don't I don't think that um, overall they would have wanted to do that. Okay, Brent, your next question is, which team out of the 22 in Orlando, in your opinion, will win the title? I hate making predictions, Brent. Maybe you know this and you're forcing me to make a prediction that I don't like to do, or maybe you're just genuinely curious about my opinion. It's fair either way. I'm going to say the Los Angeles Lakers 
Um, I think the Bucks were the best team in the NBA, but I haven't seen Giannis Antetokounmpo dominate in the playoffs against really, really high-level competition. He has a chance to do that, I guess, in the bubble and prove me wrong. But for now, I'll pick the Lakers, the second-best team in the NBA that has LeBron James. Okay, next question from Brent. Also, Tamterius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter both asked draft-related questions. I'll read them back-to-back. First from Brent, who says, Looking at the NBA draft in October, hypothetically imagine the Blazers having the number one pick. Who would you draft and why? And Tamterius the Greek, Tam the Greek on Twitter asks, Could trading up in the draft be an option for the Blazers? Is there anyone that fits the team? Since I've heard it's a pretty guard-heavy draft and they're searching for a forward, or should they trade out of the draft? Okay, so the the people that are kind of rumored as the number one overall pick are James Wiseman, a center from Memphis, and LaMelo Ball, the youngest of the Ball brothers, a big point guard who played professionally in Australia very briefly this winter or last winter. Um, I don't like either of those guys for the Blazers as the number one pick. So if, if the Blazers did get the number one overall pick, what I would advise is trading out and getting multiple assets. But if I had to pick the two... My two choices are both forward types, because I think that's where the Blazers are weakest, as Tam DeGreek alluded to. I would go with uh, Denny Abda, who is uh, Israeli standout, the best European star in this draft, projected to go in the top five, or Obi Toppin, the college star from Dayton. Maybe there's some questions about um, his overall like star potential in the league, and I think this draft is rumored to be a little bit weak, but... Uh, I, those are two sort of wingy types. Uh, uh, Avda is more like a it's like a big guard. He's more like a six six ball handling wing, like point forward. Obi Toppin's probably more of like a three four tweener, uh, really good athlete. I think either of those are good options. But like I said, if the Blazers end up at number one, you know, or if they were hypothetically end up at number one, I say you trade out because the people who are sort of consensus number ones, they don't need another guard. They certainly don't need another big guard. Uh, someone needs the ball in their hands and stuff like that. And they don't need another center. They have a bunch of those. So, yeah, I think those would be the directions I would go with draft picks. Okay, next question comes from Dan from Gmail, who says, I enjoyed the show, but I do miss your old podcast mate Chuck. When will Chuck return? Um, this is That's only part of the question. Uh, for real heads, I used to record a podcast when I worked at the Oregonian called My Friend Chuck with, you guessed it, My Friend Chuck. Um, he's chilling, man. He didn't go anywhere. Uh, he lives in the East Coast, so maybe it's hard for us to coordinate, but I could get him on the show. Uh, I don't think he follows, like, the minutia of the NBA as close as he once did, but we could bring him back if there's popular demand. You know, send me an email. If, if there's more Chuck heads out there, send me an email. Okay, Dan's real question is, how is free agency impacted by the current scheduling? Also, will free agents be able to sign with a team for the playoff run? So free agency is going to happen after the draft. Uh, the season's going to end like in the middle of October. And then the draft's going to happen sometime in that next, probably like a two-week window, end of October, like Halloween or November 1st. And then they'll have free agency immediately after that with the season likely to start they say early December, but I'm gonna guess Christmas. I'm gonna guess. I'm just gonna go ahead and guess it gets pushed back to Christmas. So um, that's when that's the timeline of free agency. But if you're talking about free agency for the teams going to the Orlando restart, uh, teams basically have to be finalized. Free agents if would be finalized by the end of June. That'd be June 30th tomorrow or if you're listening to this when it's june 30th today so uh but how that would work is it's the same rules as at the end of the season basically uh you 
if you can't sign, if a player was on an NBA roster after March 1st, they're not eligible for the playoffs. So signing them, you could sign them for the eight games, but they wouldn't be eligible for once the actual playoffs start. And uh, you can only sign them if you have an open roster spot, with the, which the Blazers do, or if a player opts out, which the Blazers also have that with Trevor Reza. So they have two options to sign guys, but it's not, you know, they'd have to sign, they're not signing would-be free agents or people that are currently on NBA rosters. These are people off the street, so the it's not exactly like a fun haul. All right, second segment, we'll come back and answer more of your questions. But first, I want to tell y'all about Blinkist. It's hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development, but there's an incredible app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways that need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is super popular. It's already 12 million people using the app, and that's because it's got a massive and growing library from self-help business, health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com MBA to try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com MBA to start your seven-day free trial and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com MBA. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Andy from Gmail. Andy asks, what do you think about the Blazers taking a look at Zach Norvell to replace Trevor Reza on the active roster? He looked really good in the G League and has the floor spacing necessary to give the Blazers a few decent minutes off the bench. Thoughts? Here are my thoughts. If you need a 6'5 guard who is mostly offensive focused and can really shoot it, You already have that dude on the roster. His name is Gary Trent Jr. The question that the Blazers should be asking themselves if they do sign another player is who guards Paul George? Who guards Kawhi Leonard? Who guards Luka Doncic? Who guards LeBron James? Zach Norville is not going to be the answer to that question. Now, I don't think anyone off the street is going to be the answer to that question. Like, I don't think Amon Shumpert is the answer to that question. Uh, Justin Anderson, a name I've thrown out there a couple times, signed with the Nets. Theo Pinson, a name, you know, uh, shout out to the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Andy, you know how it is to root for a college. Um, But uh, he signed with the Knicks. So, like, the names that I have considered who are, like, kind of vague NBA players, they've already been snatched up. Um, There just aren't a lot of wings. There's not a lot of wings. And when the NBA is in full swing, there aren't a lot of wings. And when you're just searching the scrap heap, there aren't a lot of wings. Um, I, I kind of think I've never seen Zach Norvell play a single minute of basketball. So, um, I'm taking your word for it, Andy. I know you're a Zag super fan. I trust, trust your insight on all things Zags, but, um, I don't think he's a solution here. I don't think he's, I don't think I would trust him more in just sort of like a, when the season restarts in December than for their current needs. Like their current, he doesn't, he does not answer the question that they should be asking. Go Zags though. Okay, next question comes from Adam Galloway, the composer at Music Man with the 
alphanumeric 4 for the A in man, Music Man on Twitter who asks, Which Blazers player in the past 15 years was the one that should have been a great addition, but pretty much immediately left before having to do anything? A couple names that come to mind are Sharif Abdurrahim and Pau Gasol. Listen, before I answer this question, we need to stop this Pau Gasol myth. The man was 39 years old. He was not going to be a good basketball player. Pau Gasol was a very good... I, I think Pau Gasol was like, criminally underrated at his peak and then very overrated at the end of his career. He's 39. This is how many 39-year-olds are good in the league? Pau was not going to be good in the league. He didn't, he didn't just unfortunately not get his chance. He was just a dude who was passed. It was, this, the game had passed him by. It happens. Sorry, Pau. Sharif Abdurrahim, I'm not sure he fits the, um, the, the criteria either. He averaged 17-7 and seven in his second season with the Blazers and pretty much wasn't good after that. So, like, I, I think he was fine. Um, but there are some other names. I really like this question, Adam. I may have been a little bit rude to you in my first reaction to this, but I do really like this question because it got me think about sort of um, things that didn't work out. The first name that popped out was Aaron Aflalo, but he, much like Pau Gasol, was kind of just done. He was just out of the league. He played basically one more season after he was with the Blazers and was bad. Played for the Knicks and the and the Kings and was bad in both spots and then was out of the league. Um, he, you know, it just it caught up with him. It catches up with everybody. But the names I came up with, put them in order. First, Festus Azili. Remember him? I don't think he really counts either, but he signed a two-year deal with the Blazers and played a total of zero games. Kind of just uh, got $8 million to be on the team briefly. And um, yeah, that was a messy one. The other two, I think, are ones that I hadn't considered, and it's why I really like this question. The first one is Channing Fry. He's a sneaky option for this one. He played two years for the Blazers. And the second year, he only played like 11 minutes a night. And then he, that following year, signed with the Suns and started playing like 20-plus minutes a night and also started taking three-pointers. He was taking less than one a game with the Blazers. He started taking four and a half with Mike D'Antoni's Suns the following year. And that Sun team's, that Suns team excuse me, made the Western Conference Finals. Channing Frye was like a really good player on a really good team. Really good player, might be overstating it. He was an extremely valuable role player on a very good team, I think is more to be said. But that, but Fry was not that with the Blazers. He was just like a tall person who kind of played too similar to the Marcus Aldridge for them to figure out how to use him. The other name that came up, and I think this one is um, is maybe the, my pick. Here's my pick. Here's the, the player over the last 15 years that was a great addition, but didn't, but pretty much immediately left without having time to do anything. Patrick Mills. Patty Mills. Played two years. Didn't get a ton of run, but was like clearly a, an NBA player and a contributor. And the Blazers drafted Armand Johnson after Patty Mills' second year and then just moved on from Patty. Instead of bringing him back, he was the obvious answer. The Blazers went in this weird sort of um, t- just strange time where they didn't have the right backup point guard. They just didn't have that position on the roster. And they chose Armand, uh, probably because Paul Allen loves little guards and loves the draft. Uh, and they... I prioritize not an NBA player, Armand Johnson, over Patty, who's been a a role player for the Spurs for a decade and is like still a positive contributor and one of their team leaders. So yeah, Patty and Channing Fryer, my two picks. Shout out to Festus Zilli. This next question comes from Logan Gillis. Logan asks, with the devastating news that the Grizzlies signed Anthony Tolliver, how many points do you think he puts up in his first revenge game against the Trailblazers? Triple double watch, question mark, question mark. Let's step in the time machine real quick. On March 22, 2010, Anthony Tolliver, then a member of the Golden State Warriors, had 25 points, 
12 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks in a 131-133 loss to the Phoenix Suns. That was more than a decade ago. AT has had 10 career double-doubles. 10 total in his 16 seasons in the league. Most recently, one of his final games in Portland. That game where Guy Fieri was in attendance and Anthony Tolliver scored all 16 of his points in the fourth quarter and the Blazers beat a very bad Charlotte Hornets team at home. Remember that? Okay, that's probably enough Anthony Tolliver information. Yeah, he's not going to have a triple-double. I don't think he's going to play. If you have my prediction for Anthony Tolliver's revenge game, zero minutes. Okay, next question comes from Tam Terrius, the Greek, at Tam the Greek on Twitter, who asks, should the Blazers trade for Aaron Gordon? Could he be a good fit if they decide to play Zach off the bench? Yeah, Aaron Gordon's good and kind of fits what the Blazers need. He can go, he's like a multi-position defender. He's a power forward who can, who has balls, like, Ball handling skills can can pass a little bit. Not a great shooter, but I think it's like when he has better spacing around him, has shot better. When when Jonathan Isaac got hurt at the end of this year, kind of an overlap player in Orlando, Gordon shot basically league average from from three. That that's pretty good. The the question I think is who you trade Aaron Gordon for. If it's something like Gary Trent Jr., Nazir Little, and Trevor Ariza, that sounds great to me. Sign me up. I think that upgrades the Blazers a bunch. It. It adds. It answers the question that they need to ask, um, or they should be asking: Does this person play forward? Does this person play defense? Can this person rebound? Aaron Gordon answers those questions. But if it's if if the price is CJ McCollum, I don't love the trade because I think it's too much of a step back in terms of talent and just sort of raw production. I think it's really going to be you try you take 21, 22 points out of the Blazers lineup. You it's hard to figure out exactly where that comes from. Uh, certainly they could probably make it up, but I but I don't love the Gordon for CJ trade. I do love the Gordon for uh, two young guys and and Trevor Reese's contract though. Sign me up for that one. Next question comes from Esoteric Eric at Esoteric underscore Eric on Twitter who asks. Which of the Blazers game, which of the Blazers game will benefit the most due to the bizarre conditions in the bubble? Uh, this is a bubble question that snuck into this episode. I could have pushed it to the next episode, but it, it made it in here, Eric. I've already read it. It's on the air. Let's roll with it. The answer to this one, I think, is a cop-out. But but I, I think my answer to this is Damian Lillard. Like, I, I don't even know, like, I don't know if that needs a lot of explanation. I think... The bizarre conditions make it so sort of like that role player feed off the hype energy stuff doesn't come up as much. Um, I think this is one of those weird situations where talent will just straight up win out. It's kind of why I'm picking the Lakers to win the NBA Finals. Um, I think Dame being the Blazers' best player, a guy who can just say, give me the ball and go get a bucket. I don't know if his game will benefit, but I think his game will be least impacted by how strange this is going to be because I think he has a certain mental focus that maybe other players just can't quite get to and an overall skill level that other guys can't get to. So I yeah, I think this is kind of a boring answer, but it's Dame. Dame is Dame is the Blazer who will be least impacted by the bubble. All right, third segment, we're going to come back and answer more of your questions. Close out the show here on Mailbag Monday. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bilt Bars. You've heard me talk about these things before, and I'm not about to stop now. Bilt Bars 
are, pro, are the protein bars that taste like candy bars. That's it. That's the trick. They're delicious. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got a great texture. Like I said, just like a candy bar. They come in 16 amazing flavors. You'll like them all. And in addition to being delicious and wonderful, they're also good for you. They're great for the health conscious among us. There are so many bad snacks you can reach for. This is not a bad snack. This is a delicious treat that's also low-calorie, low-sugar, high-in-protein, and high-in-fiber. Take, for instance, the mint brownie. Comes with 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and just 5 grams of net carbs. Get yourself some Built Bars. And to do that, you'll need to go to BuiltBar.com and use that promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers, and we're still rolling along with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Logan Gillis, who asks, What, if anything, should we take away from the Blazers' recent layoffs when it comes to the roster during the offseason? Will they try to cut salary there as well? Um, Logan is referencing to a report from my friend and friend of the podcast. He's never been on the podcast because I've never asked him to be Joe Freeman who reported earlier this week that, or excuse me, last week that the Blazers had to cut 40 uh, positions within the company of, sorry, these aren't jobs. These are humans. 40 people were let go by the trailblazers last week. And um, I don't, I don't think to answer your question, Logan, that that is specifically what um, should clue you in about the Blazers, maybe new dis- like financial decision making. Um, that might suggest that sure, like overall they're prioritizing getting a little bit cheaper. But I think the the indications came earlier in the year um, when they traded for Trevor Ariza. The way it was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski was that the Blazers saved twelve million dollars off their payroll. Woj didn't just tweet that because he's excited about the Blazers' payroll. Someone who works for the Trailblazers, you can guess who, told Woj that that, you know, sent that to Woj as that that being the headline to share. Then they trade away Scalabissier, um, who probably wasn't going to be available to play. Um, if the regular season had played out normally, potentially Scal could be available now. I don't think that he'd particularly help, but they trade him away just, just for financial reasons. So the indication that the Blazers were maybe trying to get cheaper happened on the basketball court. Um, I think the stuff that happens behind the scenes is different. I would actually, I don't know exactly how it works, but I would assume that money comes from a different pot. I would assume the like player salary basketball stuff is a separate entity in terms of cash than uh, people who work for the organization. So, yeah, I think they're maybe cutting costs across the board, but I'm not sure those two are related. But the thing that should that should maybe indicate that the Blazers will try to also be frugal this offseason, they already happened. You already saw them happen on the court. Okay, next question comes from John from Gmail, who asks, what can I expect? Oh, John, actually, I'm not going to read all this, but John wrote a couple paragraphs um, kind of introducing himself. Philly native, who is adopting the Blazers as um, a new fandom. Lifelong Philly fan, lifelong uh, Sixers fan, uh, 
kind of newly introduced to the Trailblazer world, and and John wonders, what can I expect from the Portland Trailblazer fan base? Being from Philadelphia, we have several different stereotypes. What are some of the Portland Trailblazer fan stereotypes? I think the big ones for me are sort of this like self-deprecating, woe is me, the world is out to get me Trailblazer fan. Um, the like, oh, the 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 NBA restart schedule was rigged against us, you know, oh, we're this, it's kind of the small market, um, big markets are always prioritized type of view of the world. But I also think that that sort of became such a meme and such a stereotype for that sort of self-deprecating, self-hating Blazer fan that there is this other, um, other side of the circle that has kind of become more vocal, particularly on the internet of like, um, authentically and enthusiastically optimistic in the face of literally any trouble. You see the Blazers' schedule? That's 8 no, baby. Got predictions for the Blazers' season? That's probably a championship. You know, uh, this, like, the, the hyper-optimistic, I think, is the other side of the circle. But I think, the, like, the sort of classic Blazer fan is the, um, the woe-is-me self-deprecation one. It, it isn't the... Nobody's booing Santa. This isn't the sort of aggressive beer throwing Philly fan. This is more of the like, everyone's out to get me, um, you know, conspiracy theory fans. Uh, there's, but I do think the blind optimism is, is making a comeback. So those are the, those are the two stereotypes. Um, I wouldn't consider myself among the fan base, but maybe as the voice for them right now, for many of them listening, welcome, John, welcome. Okay. Next question comes from Justin Oslin at Justin Oslin seven on Twitter, who says, Trade proposal! Uh, If you know, Justin is famous for not asking questions, but instead reading another website and sending me the trade proposal and asking me what I think. Justin, doing what Justin does, sends the following tweet. Bleacher Report had an article a few days ago offering a trade of DeMar DeRozan for Spencer Deadwitty and Karis LeVert. Don't want to trade CJ McCollum and hard to find a trade that works, but would you trade CJ McCollum for Spencer Didwitty and Karis LeVert? Okay, without looking up the money, like I'm not going to look up the money, Justin. I'm not doing it. I'm not your trade machine, but I am someone who will answer these questions when you send them to me. Okay, so maybe that does make me your trade machine, but in any case, I'm not looking up the numbers. Too many questions to look up the numbers today. I will just say, I think this is the type of trade I would smash the yes button on. Here's why. Spencer Dinwiddie, although he's seems like kind of a weirdo, um, is good at basketball. He fills a lot of what CJ does in terms of a scoring guard. He can either come off the bench and play uh, as your backup point guard. He could conceivably start at two next to Dame. He's he's he can, he's a ball player. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he's I think he is a star, not like a all star level player, but it, he's a he's a dude who's going to get buckets in the league for an extended period of time and already has a track record of doing so. Karis LeVert is a border was a borderline all-star when he didn't play next to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, uh, when that roster made a little more sense, not this season that hasn't ended yet, but the last one. It's hard to figure out where we are in the timeline. Uh, the the pre-Kyrie, pre-Kevin Durant joining Brooklyn season before LeVert looked like an all-star early in the year. Like, looked like he was going to be an all-star. Then he got hurt. D'Angelo Russell took over. He became the guy who made the all-star team. But LeVert's, like, really good. He can play a little bit of three. He's not, he's not a like, a super strong defender. But I think this is enough talent coming back that giving away CJ for me is a no-brainer. I'm smashing the yes button. Give me that trade. Um, 
it, it might not work financially because I think both those guys have signed extensions, but we'll figure it out, Justin. You and I will hammer out the details. Let's make it happen. Okay, next question comes from Logan Gillis. Logan, a lot of questions in this episode. He promised me that he would send in a bunch of questions. He did. I'm delivering with answers. Logan asks, who's the toughest quote out of all the Blazers players you've covered over the years? I thought about this one a lot. There's there's a bunch, or not a bunch, but there's, there's guys I would throw in here. Um... I always had a good relationship with Jake Lehman, just like sh- shooting the shit, but he was never a good quote. Um, kind of same with Noah Vonley. Like we got along really well just chatting, but then when I'd like pull out my phone and be like, hey, can we like, can I get you on the record from some stuff? He'd be, he wouldn't be very good at it. Um, Nurk just like doesn't enjoy media for the most part. I think he, he's okay with doing interviews with Brooke Olsendam because she works for the team and she's not going to hammer him on stuff, but he doesn't care for the media. Um, so bad, bad mood Nurk is a really tough quote. Mason Plumley for me personally, I know Jason used to be, Jason Quick used to be able to get pretty good quotes out of Mace, but I never was, I never, I never cracked the code. He was always um, a struggle for me. LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't a particularly good quote, still isn't, but I think the worst one, the most consistently bad ones, Robin Lopez, he just didn't like to talk about basketball. So you want to talk about other stuff? You could go to Rolo and talk about literally, you know, the Simpsons or television or, or other television shows or music or various other pop culture things. But if you want to talk about X's and O's and hoops, Rolo just did not care for it. Just wasn't just, he was just like, nope, see ya. Don't want to do it. All right. Our next question comes from Lewis Olenek at Lewis RS Olenek on Twitter, who asks in the spirit of optimism, do you think a small benefit of the U S sport of U S sports returning could simply be all the millions of people who will stay home for appointment viewing rather than leave the house unnecessarily out of boredom? Lewis, I do think this is a thing that could happen, but I worry that this, that they invented sports bars so people could watch the games together. I do think watching the game at home is is generally better than going... It's certainly better than going to a sports bar, in my opinion. You have control over the sound. Um, you have your preferred spot. You can make... Uh, you can order takeout food or make better food on your own. Uh, won't be limited to the bar. You can buy beers at stores and bring them to your house if that's a thing that you want. Um, so, yeah, for me, always couch. My own couch better than a sports bar. But, you know, people love camaraderie. Um... So I, I worry about that a little bit. And I also just worry that we get deep into the season. People are going to be excited and they want to go experience experience the games together. But like you said, in the spirit of optimism, Lewis, I'm just going to say you're right. Yeah, you're right. That'll be a benefit. People will stay home and this this will be better off for it. Okay, next question. Tam Terrius the Greek also asked a bunch of questions. We got them all in the show. Tam de Greek at Tam de Greek on Twitter, who asks, The Wire of the Sopranos. Okay, so I didn't grow up with HBO. I've lived a perfectly privileged childhood. Don't worry about me. But we didn't have HBO. Um, so I, I watched these mostly at, in my early 20s. Like, I revisited both these both of these uh, shows in my early 20s. I love them both dearly. But personally, I think I like The Wire better than Sopranos. I think Tony Soprano is a better character than anyone, a singular character than anyone on The Wire in terms of his... Uh, his arc and development, but 
the wire just has it's it's a little bit deeper it's or wider i should say um it's got a it's got a much wider breadth on all the things it covers um not a big fan of the wire season one but i think two three and four are really good i'm not even a big fan of season five um so yeah i think i think those middle seasons of the wire particularly three and four i'm just like everybody else i love season three or four of the wire i'm a total total stereotype i think they're better it's a great show i've watched the wire all the way through at least twice and i believe i own the dvd box set somewhere i don't think i have a way to play dvds anymore at this stage of my life but i definitely own the dvd box set i have only watched the sopranos through all the way once so maybe i should revisit it and then re-answer your question Thanks for asking not about basketball so we could close the show or sort of close the show on a weird note. But there is one more question. It comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at, K- at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who asks, Mike, can you talk about Dame's evolution as a passer this year and where his passing skills ranks among other PGs in the league? I'm going to not do the ranking part. I think that's kind of subjective. Um, that's also not really my skill set. I watch a bunch of NBA games, but I watch every Blazer game and I've watched parts of some of those Blazer game multiple times. Like I've, I'm just, I'm much more familiar with, with the, with the Blazers. It's my area of expertise. And I also think that kind of, um, colors some of my ranking stuff when I do the rest of the league. Like I think Ricky Rubio is probably a better passer than Damian Lillard, but I only watched, you know, 20 quarters of Rubio this year or something like that. Maybe a little bit more, but, um, just just not the same level to have uh, a real nuanced view. But I will talk about Dame's evolution as a passer. I think what has changed a little bit for him as he's gotten older, gotten more mature in the league, is that it's maybe not his just skill in passing, although I do think this season in particular he took a major step forward in terms of just throwing alley-oops. He's been a terrible lob passer for most of his career. And this year's kind of like basically from like Christmas until the season ended, he kind of seemed to figure it out. He was finding Hassan on more lobs, finding Nazir Little on more lobs. He just, he, 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 he kind of, that was a real wrinkle to his game that he didn't have that he added. But where I've seen the evolution of his game as a passer for the most part is his understanding of, of double teams and manipulating those double teams. He is, it's his real skill. And those were early in his career, if you'll recall, the playoff defeats for the Blazers. They would send double teams at Dame, and he would make bad decisions, or he would throw an inaccurate pass, or he would try to force it. And this year in particular, I think he took a massive step forward in being able to manipulate double teams. You bring two dudes to him, he knows they're coming, he takes a, he takes a little a slow dribble uh, to kind of catch himself and get himself geared up, then he looks like he's going to explode one way, and gets you leaning and and brings the double team right where he wants it to be and throws a pass where you where you just vacated or he sees like a double team coming and he just he greets it he says come both these defenders come this way and finds a guy either at the arc or rolling into the middle of the paint i think his ability to manipulate double teams and see that second and then that third defender has really taken taken another level i don't think he's like a great technical passer like sort of like uh Steve Nash or Pete Maravich in terms of like throwing these, um, you know, physically difficult passes, even LeBron, like those crazy jump passes LeBron, LeBron would throw early in his career. I think more Dame has just gotten smarter about knowing where his guys are going to be and knowing where the defense is going to be and just picking, he just can pick teams apart at this stage in a way that he couldn't early in his career. 
So sorry for no ranks, KJ, but that's I, I do think that you are right to point out that he has evolved a great deal as a passer. He's just he's better at manipulating defenses. He's better at um, picking teams apart with the pass in ways that he was not early in his career. That's going to do it for today's show. Like I said at the top, if you were waiting to hear your question and it was about the NBA bubble, I didn't give up on you. I just pushed it back a couple days. I'm going to I'm going to record another episode later in the week all about the NBA bubble, all about the restart, all about the Blazers' chances of making the playoffs, all those things you asked. I'm going to I'll answer those questions. But I just didn't have room to do it tonight. We're already pushing up 30 against 35 minutes. So I wanted to give everyone's chance to ask questions and give them everyone's chance room to get answers that they deserve because I asked for a bunch of questions and y'all delivered a bunch of questions. I appreciate it. If you want to get involved next week, I guess we're getting tons of questions now. You can do it by tweeting at me at Mike G. Rich or sending me an email lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. You can also help the show grow by telling your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.